This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. I'm sure we can all agree that dealing with emotions of the heart can sometimes be very difficult. Some folks wear their heart on their sleeve so everyone in their circle knows exactly how they feel about almost any subject. Well, tonight, the great Gildersleeve is presented with a situation that makes him feel very uneasy. You see, the great Gildersleeve becomes embarrassed when his engagement to his next-door neighbor becomes the central theme in the conversation when Fibber, McGee, and Molly visit his home. He and Fibber have had a rocky relationship, due mostly to Fibber McGee's insensitive comments about every aspect in the great Gildersleeve's life. You'll enjoy this show, I'm sure. It was first broadcast in 1943. The Great Gildersleeve! <laughs> yeah. Cratsey's Company will also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night. Present each week at this time, Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve, written by John Wheaton. We'll hear from The Great Gildersleeve in just a moment. Of course, most of you homemakers listening in know how deliciously good margarine can be today. But some of you may not have used margarine as a spread for bread for a good many years. Well, if that's the case, you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you taste parquet margarine, the margarine that's made by Kraft. That's because parquet margarine is really different from the margarines of a few years back. First, parquet's flavor is pretty certain to please. It's so delicate and wholesome, so deliciously good. You'll be delighted with parquet as a spread for bread or rolls, yes, and for baking and pan frying, too. Second, unlike old-time margarines... Parquet margarine is a reliable, year-round source of vitamin A because every pound contains 9,000 units of this important vitamin. And besides, parquet is an excellent energy food. So try economical parquet margarine in your household and find out how extra good it is yourself. Just ask your food dealer for parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y. Parquet margarine made by Kraft. to Summerfield and the Great Gildersleeve. Saturday afternoon finds him in a flurry of preparation for the expected visit of his old friends, Fibber McGee and Molly. For hours, he's been running up and downstairs, issuing orders and countermanding them, and now he pauses to light a well-earned cigar and snatch a moment's respite from the labor of supervising Bertie. Well, Bertie, how do we stand? Has that roast of beef turned up yet? No, sir. I phoned the market, and they said the boy left with about a half hour ago. Maybe he's been hijacked. Yeah. Well, we'll give him a few more minutes. How about the sleeping arrangements? I did like Miss Marjorie said. I'm giving Miss McGee your room. That's right. And Mr. McGee gets the den. I hope he'll be comfortable. He doesn't have to be comfortable. 
That guy can sleep standing up. <laughs> what about me? Where do I go? <laughs> well, uh, you sort of get the sewing room, Mr. Gilsley. <laughs> I knew at the sewing room I'll be on pins and needles all night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, sir. I got you all fixed up snug on Leroy's folding camp cot. Yeah, the last time I camped on that cot, it folded all right. <laughs> you remember? Well, I got it fixed up now, Mr. Gilsleeve. I got it tied up with some string. Oh, fine. I'll sleep like a baby. Yes, sir. I bet I'll be asleep before my head hits the floor. <laughs> Oh, Marjorie, is that you? It's me, Uncle. Marjorie's coming. She's outside talking to some guy that brought her home from the plant. How was the movie? Uh, Bertie, take this book upstairs with you when you go, will you? Yes, sir. I saw a white cargo. It's about this guy. Oh, good. Uh, put that book on the table next to the bed, Bertie. Mrs. McGee might want to read before she goes to sleep. It's about this guy who goes to Africa, and he runs into Hetty Lamar down there, mooching around the jungle. Yep. So the heat begins to get him. Only yep. I forgot to tell you, Walter Pigeon is there. He's going in the camp. That's Mr. Miller, only in this picture, his name is Whitzel. <laughs> oh, hello, my dear. Are they here yet? So, uh, so, so Witzel says to this new guy... Not yet. Their train's due in about a half an hour. So Witzel says to this guy... Witzel, that's Walter Pigeon. Leroy, I haven't got time to listen to all that now. Well, you asked me how was the movie. I'll be more careful next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're early, Marjorie. I got a ride, so I didn't have to wait for the bus. We picked up Leroy just as he was coming out of the theater. Yeah, tell him who picked you up. Marjorie's got a new fella. Yes. Nobody picked me up. I have not. That's no way to talk about your sister, young man. One of the men from the plant very kindly offered to drive me home, that's all. Who's on his way? Yeah. Mike, she calls him. That just happens to be his name. She's only been there working there a week, and already it's Mike. Hiya, Mike. Hiya, baby. Come <laughs> <laughs> on, now don't you listen to him. <laughs> very nice, though, really. He works in the drafting department. Oh, well, that's fine. He's a draftsman, all right. If you ask me, he's got designs on our nail. <laughs> Leroy, you mind your own business. I've got something to say to both of you. Yes, Uncle Mort? When Mr. McGee arrives this afternoon, there are two things I want you to be careful not to do. In the first place, I don't want you to make any reference to Fibber's size. What about it? Well, he's a little runt, and like all little runts, <laughs> he's sort of sensitive about it. That's why he's so pugnacious. Oh, I wouldn't say anything, Uncle Mort. Well, I know you wouldn't, my dear, but I'm not so sure about Leroy. <laughs> say? Did I say anything about him being a runt? You're the one who brought it up. Well, just don't, that's all. Actually, he's not so small anyway. It's just that he's not as big as he thinks he is. <laughs> he has the mind of a small man, that's all. <laughs> Always carrying a chip on his shoulder. Oh, we'll be careful, Uncle Moore. And another thing, and this applies to both of you. I'd rather you didn't say anything about my engagement to Mrs. Ransom. Oh, but the McGee's are your friends, Uncle Moore. They'll be offended. We're not announcing the engagement just yet, my dear. We're uh, keeping it a secret. Mrs. Ransom isn't. I heard her talking to Mrs. Pettibone down at the grocery. We're not announcing it to McGee, and that's final, Leroy. Because if I know McGee, he'll start making cracks. <laughs> if he makes any cracks about Lita, I'll punch him in the nose. And if I do that, Molly will be upset, and if she's upset, it'll spoil the whole weekend. That's what you get for inviting McGee anyway. <laughs> He hasn't had a chance to open his mouth. I know, McGee. His mouth is open right this minute. <laughs> You'll see. He'll arrive here in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> Nobody will be able to get a word in all weekend. If he ever finds out about me and Leela, he'll be like a Scotty with a bone. Oh, Uncle Mort, you're being silly. Well, he isn't going to come in here as my guest and bandy so-called witticisms at my expense. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction. We'll just keep the whole thing dark, if you don't mind. Come on, it's time to go get him. Can I go, Uncle? Uh, no, Leroy. There's something else I want you to do. What's that? I want you, in the interests of peace, 
Go out in the garage, get the lawnmower, and hide it. Well, this is it, folks. It's no palace, but it's home to me. What do you think of it, Molly? Oh, it's a lovely place, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yeah, nice hunk of property you got here, Gildy. A hundred foot front by a hundred and seventy-five deep. Well, that ought to give you room to spread out. (laughs) (laughs) And I can see that you have. (laughs) What was that, little chum? McGee, watch it. Hey, Rocky, uh, who lives next door there? Next door? Oh, some woman. I forget her name. Uh, Mrs. Ransom. Oh, yes. Is that it? She's a widow. Oh, so? A widow woman, eh? Give you much trouble? Uh, No, no. As a matter of fact... Marjorie, suppose you run in and ask Leroy to come out and help with the bags. That's a good girl. You know, I think nice neighbors make all the difference in the world. So do bad ones. We had one once who borrowed our lawnmower and kept it so long he finally had to leave town. <laughs> and he took the lawnmower with him. McGee, if you've come all the way to Summerfield to open up old wounds. You want me out? Oh, yes. Come here, my boy. Well, well, this must be little Leroy. Yes. Leroy, I want you to meet Mrs. McGee, a very dear friend of mine. How do you do? My, he's a fine looking lad, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, and this is Mr. McGee. Hi, bud. Gosh, I had no idea you were such a big kid. Gosh, I had no idea you were so big either. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, you're not such a little runt. I'm told me... Leroy! I'm just building him up, huh? Well, cut it out. Never mind him, Leroy. You eat your oatmeal and cod liver oil regularly. Someday you may be as big and fat as your uncle. Are you kidding? None of your impudence, young man. Out, Gildersleeve. The boy meant no harm. He's plainly the victim of an unfortunate environment, that's all. (laughs) Let's go inside, shall we, where the environment is warmer. Oh, yes, by all means. Uh, Leroy, you go get the bags out of the car. By George, I tell you folks, it's wonderful to have you here. This is just like old times. Oh, it's good to be here, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yes. Let me take your coat, Mrs. McGee. No, thank you. Where will I put mine, Rocky? Well, I'll take it. Just hang it up here in the hall closet. McGee. What, Molly? You see that closet? That's what I mean. I'm sure anybody can keep a closet clean if they don't use it. Mr. McGee, you must come upstairs. I'll show the room you're in. Oh, thank you, dearie. I would like to freshen up a little before dinner. Uh, dinner's in about a half an hour, everybody. Hey, where these bags go? Uh, Mr. McGee's bag goes in the den, and Mrs. McGee's goes up in my room. Here, I'll take it up to her. Uh, hey, Sonny, is there any place around here where a fellow could buy a toothbrush? I came off without one, as usual. Well, sure, there's a drugstore right down the street about three blocks. Good, I may run down there a little later. Well, what have you been doing with yourself all day? I went to the movies this afternoon. Mm-hmm. White Cargo, have you seen it? No, that's one I missed. Well, this guy goes to Africa and he can't stand the heat. Uh-huh. So he and Walter Pigeon get mad at each other and Walter Pigeon says, you'll quit. And he says, I will not. Mm-hmm. So he goes off by himself and plays the photograph and then he... Well, uh, look, uh, on second thought, maybe I better go right now and get that toothbrush. <laughs> Wait on. I'm just getting to where Hedy Lamar comes in. Oh, well, I'll wait for that. <laughs> Well, he's playing his phonograph there, yeah. and it's getting all dark and spooky. And he looks out the door, and all of a sudden, what does he see? Eddie Lamar. Yeah, only he'd never know her. 
She's got a sort of a thing around her. And she comes in like this. Oh, look, you're Walter Pigeon and I'm Hetty Lamar. Well, if you're Hetty Lamar, I guess I can pass for Walter Pigeon. <laughs> Shoot the plot to me, Todd. Well, she slides around the edge of the door like this uh-huh. and she says, I am Tondaleo. <laughs> well, look, round to Leo. I've got to run down to the corner and get a toothbrush. Hey, wait! I'll be right back. Well, this is the best part. Whitson comes in and catches her. Good night, Mr. Peavy. Good night. Well, now, what can I do for you, sir? I'd like to buy a toothbrush. A toothbrush? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have any particular kind of toothbrush in mind? <laughs> yes, uh, something I could brush my teeth with. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I don't really need a toothbrush. I've got one at home, but I came away without it. Oh, yeah. None of it's perfect. <laughs> you say you're a stranger in town? Uh, I didn't say so, but I am. McGee's my name. I'm staying up the street here. Oh, pleased to make your acquaintance, Mr. McGee. My name is Peavy. Anytime I can be of service, only too glad. Oh, thanks. I'd like to buy a toothbrush. Any, uh, any particular kind? Ca- oh, I asked you that, didn't I? Yes. Well, I have a number of varieties. I have them in red, green, white, small, medium, large. Now, give me a red one. And uh, then they come in the nylon bristle, the exton bristle, the proton bristle, and the... Uh, they're just plain bristles. Look, bud, I just want a toothbrush. I want to brush my teeth. Well, here's a nice brush. I'll take that one. Well, I don't want you to feel I'm high-pressuring you. I, it's just Wrap a, it up. Yes, sir. Uh, will there be anything else? No, that's... Oh, wait a minute. Seems to me Molly did mention something. Oh, I know. We're spending the weekend with a fellow up the street here, and I'd like to get a little something for him as a gift. Uh, what type of gentleman is he? Oh, he's a big, fat blowhard. <laughs> Doesn't do much of anything but eat, sleep, and brag. <laughs> I've got something here that I think uh, Mr. Gildersleeve would like. <laughs> oh. You know him. Oh, yes, he's in here almost every day. Oh. And I think if you really <laughs> want to surprise him, a nice package of bubble bath would do the trick. <laughs> Gildersleeve in a bubble bath? Boy, he'd look like a blimp coming out of a cloud. Well, of course, it wouldn't make much of a wedding gift, if that's what you have in mind. Wedding gift? For Gildersleeve? Haven't you heard? He's engaged to marry his next-door neighbor, Mrs. Ransom. Rocky, engaged? Yeah. Oh, tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> What'd you say her name was? Uh, Mrs. Ransom. Lila <laughs> Ransom. Widow. The widow next door. Uh-huh. The one he said he never met. Didn't even know her name. The big fake. What's she like? Well, she's a southern lady. Very well preserved. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Let me at him. Here, what do I owe you? Uh-uh, that'll be 77 cents. Uh, cheapest toothbrush I ever bought. Well, so long, bud, and many thanks. <laughs> Leroy, that'll be quite enough now. Oh, now, don't discourage the boy, Mr. Gildersleeve. Discourage him? I only wish I knew how. Hi, folks. 
McGee, where on earth have you been? Oh, just down the corner. <laughs> Say, you look like the cat that swallowed the canary. You know that you've kept dinner waiting 15 minutes? Oh, that's perfectly all right. Leroy, run out and tell Bertie she can serve at any time now, will you? McGee, have you washed? <laughs> McGee, what's get into you? Yes, what are you looking at? <laughs> Hi, Rocky. Hello. How's every little thing? How are you feeling? I feel all right. Why? Everything under control? Certainly. What do you hear from Lulu? <laughs> Lulu? Who's Lulu? McGee, what on earth are you When talking? are we going to meet her, Rocky? Meet who? The Queen of Sheba. Scarlett O'Hara. That widow you're going to marry. Oh! <laughs> Mary, Mr. Gildersleeve? Leroy. Honest, Doc, I didn't say a thing. Marjorie. Not a peep, Uncle Lord, I swear. If you knew Lulu like I know Lulu. Her name is not Lulu. No. No, it's Leela. Leela. Lee is a leave her out of this, and La is in lots of people get a punch in the nose. <laughs> That's just what you're going to get if you ever so much as... Why, you big bumbling balloon... Come over here and I'll let the air out. You muscle bound me. Saved by the band. <laughs> the Great Gildersleeve will be with us again in a few seconds. You know, especially in times like these, it's smart to be economical. But when it comes to food buying, it's important to be wisely economical. Be sure that the economy foods you buy fulfill the requirements of good nutrition. Now, one food that's both economical and highly nutritious is wholesome parquet margarine, the delicious spread for bread made by Kraft. Parquet margarine, you know, is one of the kinds of foods recommended in our government's nutrition food rules. That's because parquet is so nourishing, having both food energy and important vitamin A. And what's more... Parquet helps provide these essential food elements in so many ways. It's a delicious spread for bread or toast or rolls. It's a tasty seasoning for hot vegetables. It's a real flavor shortening for baking. And it's grand for pan frying, too. Yes, in all these ways, Parquet margarine adds delicious nourishment to meals. So tomorrow, ask your food dealer for Parquet. P-A-R-K-A-Y. Parquet margarine, made by Kraft. Now, what of the great Gildersleeve? Well, it's Sunday morning, and the great man has come down to enjoy his usual outsize Sunday breakfast. He walks into the dining room, sniffing the air like a bird dog in a hot scent. Uh, uh, that's funny. The stuff must be here, but I can't smell it. Bertie? Yes, Mr. Gildersleeve? Where's breakfast? Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, Miss Marjorie told me y'all would wait until Miss and Miss McGee came down. I never heard of such a thing. Marjorie? Now, be quiet. Think of our guests. I am thinking of them. I'm thinking, why don't they get up? Oh, the idea. Anyone would think you hadn't eaten for a month. That's exactly the way I feel. When I think of that little termite, McGee, probably lying up there in bed right now, just on purpose to keep me for my breakfast. Who's that? I'll go. Well, good morning, Judge. Oh, Hooker, come right in. I'm glad to see you. I can't stay, but I've heard the news from Leela Ransom, and as your ex-rival, I simply wish to tender my congratulations. Oh, thank you, Judge. After thinking it over, Throckmorton, I feel sure that Leela's heart has guided her to the right choice. Oh, you think so? Hey, well, I hope so. By the way, I'm giving a little party for Leela this afternoon. I hope you can come, Horace. I'd love to. I hope you'll make Leela very happy, Gildy. Well, I'll try. Fine. Uh, Throckmorton, have yes. you, um... 
Have you given Leela any kind of uh, token? Uh, token? Well, it's a symbol of your plight at trough. It's customary, you know, to give the lady... Hooker, are you trying to peddle a second-hand engagement ring? No, certainly not. Then what are you talking about? It's not second-hand. Leela's <laughs> never even seen it. This ring has never encircled a human finger. Then why don't you take it back to the jeweler? Well, for sentimental reasons, I wanted you to have it. Uh, Besides, I had Leela's name put on it. Oh, well, what'd you pay for it? Seventy-five dollars. I'll give you fifty. It's robbery, but I'll take it. Well, I want to see it first. Here it is. Oh, that's quite a flash. Wait a minute, what's this inside of it, this inscription? Oh, yes. Salila from Cuddles. No, I I forgot to mention that. Hooker, did Leela Ransom ever call you Cuddles? No, Gildy, but I just hope she'd learn to. Uh, Well, obviously the ring is of no use to me. But I'll give you $25 for it. $25? $25, Judge. Take it or leave it. I'll take it. But what are you going to do about the inscription? Well, if I play my cards right, she might learn to call me Cuddles. (laughs) (laughs) Yoo-hoo. Anybody around? Hey, don't tell me I'm the first one up. First one up, your clavicle. I've been up for three hours. I waited breakfast for you till 10 o'clock. I'll tell Bertie you're ready. Oh, I've had breakfast. Is that what you mean? You've had it? Yeah, had breakfast in bed. You? I tell you, it was quite a treat. Things ain't like that around Whistle Vista. Things ain't like that around here, either. <laughs> Bertie! Yeah? Why don't I ever get breakfast in bed? Because breakfast is the only thing to get you out of bed, Mr. Gilsley. <laughs> well, maybe when you're mad, Mr. Gilsley, things will be different. Yeah. You'll have to toe the mark then, Rocky. By the way, uh, when are we going to meet Lulu? The name is Leela. Oh, excuse me. Uh, when are we going to get a gander at her? What's the matter? You're not ashamed of her, are you? Look here, McGee. You're not even boys, fit to... Boys, boys. So early in the morning? Oh, good morning, Mrs. McGee. I'm just telling my little chum here I can't wait to have you meet Leela. Well, we can't wait either, Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs> That's no lie. Yeah. <laughs> She's coming over this afternoon for tea, and I'm having one or two others in. Uh, Judge Hooker. Oh, how are you and the judge getting along these days? Well, we have our ups and downs. Some days I think he's our purest little jurist, and others I think he's a stench to the bench. <laughs> you know, I'm very anxious to meet him, too. He sounds like such fun. Yeah, more fun than a goat. McGee, what do you say to a little constitutional before lunch? A little what? A little constitutional, a little walk. On foot? Why, sure. I'd like to take you out and show you the reservoir. Go on, McGee, to do you good. How far is it? Oh, only about four miles. Are you kidding? <laughs> McGee, I want you to keep away from Leroy for the rest of the morning. <laughs> Uh, Well, this is quite an occasion, quite an occasion Everybody here now for the guest of honor Where's Leela, Gildy? Uh, Leela, oh, she'll be along any minute, Judge You know, Judge, I've heard a lot about you from our friend Gildersleeve here Have you? I've heard a lot about you too, Mr. McGee Well, I'll tell you what he said about you if you'll tell me what he said about me McGee, you're a guest here. I've never said anything behind your back, little chum, that I haven't said to your face. Oh, so that's the way you talk about me behind my back. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, folks. That must be Leela. I'll go, I'll hey, go. Never mind, Leroy. I'll open it. Don't bother. I'll go. Leroy, you hurt me. <laughs> okay, okay. You know, I can't wait to meet her. Just think, McGee. Mr. Gildersleeve in love. Yeah. Staggers the imagination. <laughs> Boy, they're taking long enough. Oh, 
wonder what's going on out there. McGee, you stay right here. No, I just thought maybe he needed some help. He doesn't need any help. Okay. Quiet, here they come. Hey, looks like Gildy done all right for himself. wonder what he used for bait. <laughs> Uh, Leela, darling, you know most of these people. Oh, yes. Good afternoon, Judge. Good afternoon, Leela. Oh, Marjorie, honey, I love your dress. Thank you. Hello, Leroy. Hello, Mrs. Ransom. <laughs> Leroy, uh, my dear, I want you to meet some old, old friends of mine. We're not that old. <laughs> uh, Mr. and Mrs. McGee from Whistful Vista. This is Leela. Oh, I'm just thrilled to meet y'all. Drock Martin's told me so much about you. I reckon you must think I'm just terrible carrying him off like this. Dearie, I think it's the finest thing that ever happened to him. And I want to be the first to congratulate you. Oh, uh, isn't that nice? Well, McGee, aren't you going to congratulate Leela? Why should I congratulate her? It's Gildersleeve that ought to be congratulated. <laughs> Oh, you're just sweet-talking me now, Mr. McGee. Oh, shucks, sis. Just call me Fibber. <laughs> Mr. Gilfrey, excuse me. Could you come out in the kitchen for a minute? Oh, certainly, Bertie. Will you excuse me, folks? Go right on talking. What's wrong now, Bertie? You know, I just can't get over Mr. Gildersleeve after all the years we've known him falling in love. Uh, tell us, dearie, now that it's all over, how did he propose to you? Yeah, did he get down on his knees? And if he did, who helped him up? McGee. <laughs> Now, this is just between us women. Well, it was terribly romantic and all. It was in the evening, and he came with a beautiful bunch of roses. Uh, you hear that, dearie? Roses he brought her. What's the matter? I bought you some roses a couple of anniversaries ago. <laughs> well, I just wanted you to make a note of it. Go on, dearie. Well, I, I remember I just happened to be wearing a gown that he particularly liked. <laughs> a, a flowered chiffon, very tight through here with a long flowing skirt. I've been planning to spend the evening with a good book. Go on, you'll get plenty of time for that later. <laughs> Well, uh, we were standing there together arranging the flowers And all of a sudden, right out of the blue, he said Well, I don't know that he'd like me telling you But he said, what would you do if I was to steal a little kiss? Oh, my God <laughs> Is that corny? Keep out of this, Vicky. you don't understand And then what? Well, naturally, I tried my utmost to discourage him But seemed like he just refused to take no for an answer Oh, not only that, he started to chase me around the room <laughs> Rock Martin, I couldn't understand it uh, Look, Leela, when did you first begin to suspect that uh, something was cooking? <laughs> When he sang to me, just a little love, a little kiss. Just a little love. <laughs> <laughs> just a little Is everybody happy? What's going on, folks? What's the big joke? Nothing, Mr. Gildersleeve, nothing at all. McGee, go on outside till you can control yourself. Come on, get out of here. Oh, I hear any more of us. <laughs> Leela, what's wrong with McGee? I don't know, Throckmorton. I was just telling them about our engagement and how you proposed to me, and uh, all of a sudden something seemed to strike him funny. Leela is nothing sacred to you. <laughs> now, Mr. Gildersleeve, don't be blaming her. Is our romance nothing but a farce to be torn to tatters for the amusement of the mob? Oh, no, Throckmorton. Am I nothing to you but a laughing stock? Oh, no. 
Well, that's the impression I seem to get. Now, listen, don't be blaming it on her, Mr. Gildersleeve. Blame it on McGee. Huh? And now, listen, remember, every proposal is sweet to the woman who hears it. Mm, isn't that a fact? Uh, tell me, Mrs. McGee, how did Mr. McGee propose to you? McGee? <laughs> <laughs> McGee proposed in a leaky canoe. Yes. yes. <laughs> Which he had to paddle with his mandolin because he lost the paddle. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. And the song he sang to me was Pretty Red Wing. Yeah, Pretty Red Wing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this Summerfield water tastes a little funny, doesn't it, Gildy? It does not. And say what you want to about me, McGee, but Summerfield has the finest water in the country. McGee, stop picking fights. You've made enough trouble already. Who's uh, picking fights? I just made a simple observation, that's all. Well, you're a bad boy. Come over here. Come on. I want you to apologize to Mr. Gildersleeve. Go on, tell him you're sorry you hurt his feelings. Okay. Brocky, old chum, I'm sorry. Uh, well, that's all right, McGee. I know you're sensitive, and it's only natural. And I want to take this opportunity to say that where you're concerned, old chum... There's only one thing in this world I want. Oh, uh, what's that? Just a little love, a little <laughs> All right, McGee. All the moon shines tonight on hey, Pretty Red Wing. Well, it's certainly being, been nice having you folks here, Mrs. McGee. <laughs> well, it's, it's been nice being here, Mr. Gildersleeve, and meeting Marjorie and little Leroy and Leela and all. I think Leela's going to make you very happy. Yeah, Rocky, she seems like a mighty nice gal. Well, I'm glad you both liked her. Well, goodbye, old chum. Thanks for the use of the den. Oh, yes, I hope you were very comfortable there. Oh, it was fine, but there's just one thing I'd suggest, Rocky. Huh? If you go to take a shower there, be careful. Why? You might cut your feet on my lawnmower. Oh! <laughs> Leroy! Good night. <laughs> Good night, all. Good night. appeared on this program to the courtesy of the makers of Johnson's Wax. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy Mills. This is Ken Carpenter speaking for the makers of Kraft Cheese and inviting you to listen in again next week for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. Stay tuned for Nick Carter, Master Detective, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Nick Carter, Master Detective. He's a fictional character that began as a dime novel private detective in 1886 and has appeared in a variety of formats over more than a century. Tonight, we'll hear how he tracks a disappearing corpse and a ghost is accused of murder. The Linux Show, starring Nick Carter, Master Detective. This is the story of a man known the world over as one of the most daring and resourceful characters in the history of detective fiction. A man whose name has become a symbol of the triumph of right and justice over the sinister forces of crime and lawlessness. Nick Carter, Master Detective. Today's exciting case, Shakespeare's Ghost in which Nick Carter tracks a disappearing corpse and a ghost is accused of murder. Murder.
Nick Carter is brought to you each week by the three great Linux home brighteners. Linux cream polish, Linux clear gloss, and Linux self-polishing wax. And now for today's exciting case from the life of Nick Carter. As we look in on the old brownstone mansion at the corner of 4th and 5th, Nick is clearing up the files on his desk as Patsy answers the door. Let's see. Convicted of arson, 15 years. Mr. Carter, my name is J.T. Reed, but I don't suppose that means anything to you. Not unless you're the J.T. Reed who bought the original letters of John Keats, the poet, at the Gibson Auction Galleries on March 15th, 1920. Why, that's amazing. Absolutely right, even to the day of the month. How in the world did you know that, Mr. Carter? Oh, I've always been interested in literary memorabilia. And an important sale like that stuck in my mind, that's all. I see. Well, as you may surmise, I have quite a collection of rare books and manuscripts. Now, last week, a Mr. Rodney Stone called at my country home. He was a fully accredited representative of Blatchford and Blake. The English firm of rare book dealers? Uh, correct. And as their American representative, he offered to sell me a copy of the Gutenberg Bible. But as all my capital is invested in books, I told Mr. Stone that at present I was more interested in selling some books than in buying. And he offered to sell some for you? Yes. His credentials were so good, I gave him my first folio Shakespeare and a few other items. He signed a receipt for them and took them to his hotel here in town. Well, Mr. Reed, you wouldn't be here unless something had gone wrong. What is it? Well, uh, just to make sure, I checked Stone's hotel and he was registered there. But then I sent a cable to his London office to confirm the details. And this, Mr. Carter, is the answer I just received. We have no American representative named Rodney Stone. His potential is obviously forged. I suggest you contact Nick Carter immediately to investigate this problem. That's for the place, I took their advice, Mr. Carter, and came here at once. Yes, I've handled two or three cases for have you been to Stone's Hotel? Well, I thought I'd better see you first. I phoned, however. He's still registered there. Well, it's probably a fairly amateurish swindle case. But I don't like to disappoint people who cable a recommendation 3,000 miles. Uh, then you'll go with me to see Stone? Yes. And there's another reason, too, Mr. Reed. I've always had a soft spot for Shakespeare. Come on. Let's go rescue old Master Will from the clutches of a rather clumsy con man. <laughs> say it was the first complete edition of Shakespeare's plays, Mr. Reed? Why, it must be 300 years old. 322 to be exact, Patsy. Wow. All yours were printed in 1623. And my copy is of special interest. The flyleaf is signed by Ben Johnson, Shakespeare's friend and fellow poet. A Johnson copy? Wow. Yes. Oh, there's a legend about that copy. <laughs> Very foolish, I suppose. But, yes, uh... I know the legend. Well, what is it, Nick? Three times in three centuries that copy has been stolen. And each time, the thief has been found later with his head cut off. Oh, lightly grisly, what? The legend is that Shakespeare's ghost comes back and slays the thief for meddling with his friend Johnson's copy. And that's the copy that this man Stone has stolen? Uh, yes, Miss Bowen. And if this legend is true, then he... his head... Oh, nonsense. Just a silly story, Betsy. Yes? Well, if you think it's a silly story, why have you stepped on the gas? Oh! <laughs> 
Still no answer. Uh, I'll try it. Never mind. I'll open the door. Uh, but how? I always carry skeleton keys. Let's go in. Great heavens! Inside, quickly. Shut the door. That man on the floor. His head. Just like the legend. I suppose that's Rodney Stone, Mr. Reed? It was. Oh, poor chap. Oh, just look at this room. There must have been a terrific struggle. Yes. Furniture overturned. Blood all over. Clothes almost ripped from the body. What a battle he must have put up to save himself. Uh, one thing, certain. Our simple case of fraud has certainly become a lot more serious. Uh, the bedroom door's open. I'll go in and see whether there's anything in there. Are you going to examine the body, Nick? In a moment, Patsy. First, I want to get an old, an old over picture of the room from here. Uh-huh. I can tell a lot just by standing in one spot. Getting kind of a perspective on the crime. For instance, position of the body, location of the bloodstains, and the way the clothes are ripped. The ghost of Shakespeare is struck again. Mr. Carter, Mr. Carter, come in here, quick. Right with you. Uh, look what I found on the windowsill here, Mr. Carter. Don't touch it. Let me see. A sword. A bloodstained sword. Yes. 16th century Claymore. 16th century sword? The thief's head cut off? Why, it all fits. Well, Mr. Carter, what do you think of the legend of Shakespeare's ghost now? <laughs> Find any clues, Nick? No. Bring me a pillowcase from that bed, will you, Bessie? I want to wrap up this sword. Yes, Nick. Uh, how do you explain it, Mr. Carter? I don't yet. This is the 23rd floor. The door was locked from the inside. No fire escape or balcony outside these windows. Here's a pillowcase, Nick. Thanks. Now, gently. That's it. Well, it's, it's a good thing we're all intelligent adults because it certainly looks like the work of a ghost. That's one of the things that bothers me, Mr. Reed. It looks too much like I think I'll go back and give the body a closer examination for it. What? what is it, Nick? What's wrong? Look, Patsy. <gasps> Where the body? It's disappeared. Vanished. Hand me that microscope slide, Patsy. Here you are. Nick. Why didn't you investigate the other rooms on the 23rd floor of that hotel when we found no one had been seen leaving the floor since we came up? You can't search people's rooms without their permission or a warrant. Besides, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And catch a murderer? Right. Now, I just want to check the blood cell structure from the stains on the sword. Well, how can you tell whether it was Stone's blood? Can't. But I can be sure it's human blood. Evidence can be framed, you know. Uh-huh. Well, how about it? You know, human blood, all right. Been on that sword about seven hours, which means about six hours before we found it. What does that prove? Could prove or disprove a great deal. That's going to steal punch for him. Sure. Just want to take a small chip off this sword. Bang. Ah, obviously, hand forward. Now I'll smelt down this little piece over a high heat flame. Here's a crucible. Thanks. Now, Patsy, while you're waiting for that steel chip to melt, we should look up J.T. Reed in our files. All right, Nick. Are you sure we've got a mercy? He ought to be there. Huh? Here's his card. Joseph T. Reed. Cheap interest books, manuscripts, and curios. And... Mm-hmm. Oh, quite a patriotic citizen, too. Did a lot of volunteer war work. He did, huh? Uh-huh. Very interesting. 
I can see that. Oh, there's a signal on the heat gauge, Nick. Feels melted. Better turn to that first. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll just have this catalyst. Ah, just as I thought. What's the matter, Nick? Is the sword a modern fake? On the contrary, Patsy, the chemicals used in this manufacture prove almost conclusively that it's authentic Elizabethan. Now, let me see Reed's file card. Here you are. Nick, why were you so anxious to prove the sword is genuine? Because it shows someone is trying to throw suspicion. Quite Scott. What is it? What do you see on the card? Patsy, send a wire to J.T. Reed. Tell him we're coming out to report to him tonight. Well, that's more like it. A little action. Reed can tell us if we need to know we may crack this case tonight. Tell me what's on your mind, Nick, please. I can tell you two things, Patsy. First, there was more than one criminal involved. There was? And second, they're among the most cunning and cold-blooded men I've ever met. You haven't met them yet. Well, we may tonight. Hand me my cold automatic. Then we're on our way. Well, a swindler murdered like other men before him who stole the same rare book. The legend of Shakespeare's ghost brought to life as a genuine Elizabethan sword is found in the room. Then the body disappears. Where will this mysterious trail of bloodshed and theft lead, Nick? We'll see in just a moment. Nick and Patsy are investigating a strange murder, a vanishing corpse, and the disappearance of a copy of a first folio Shakespeare. The entire crime seems to be linked to a legend about Shakespeare's ghost. They are now in a small suburban railway station waiting for their client, J.T. Reed. Nick, what do you suppose is keeping Mr. Reed? Oh, station master. Yep. Are you sure Mr. Reed got the wire we sent this afternoon? Of course I'm sure. It should be for the telegraph office, too. That's the wire saying you was arriving on the 712. You send it right up to Mr. Reed. I can imagine why he isn't here. It's almost... 7.30. Well, anyway, Nick, we had a cozy place to wait during the shower. It was short, but awfully wet. I'm not interested in waiting anywhere cozily. I'm going to get going. Well, if he's supposed to be here, he will be. He'll find men, Mr. Reed. Humbrick Spirited. Works on bond drive. He even serves as a volunteer up to the county hospital. Well, here's a car now. It's Mr. Reed, Nick. Let's go, then. Thanks for your hospitality, Station Master. Oh, Miss Boyle, Mr. Carter, I'm dreadfully sorry I'm late. Oh, that's all right, Mr. Reed. Those are wires surprised you. No, no, it wasn't that. I had trouble starting my car. Couldn't even get it out of the garage till ten minutes ago. Oh, no? Uh, right this way. No. Uh, my butler Evans insisted on helping me. Every time I thought the motor was ready to run, he'd reach in under the hood to adjust something and bang, it would stall again. Well, let's hope it won't stall on the way back. I'm rather anxious to see your place and your butler. Uh, Mr. Carter, I do hope you can get my beautiful books back for me. I'll do my best, Mr. Reed. Oh, by the way, were they insured? Oh, yes, yes, thank heaven. But I want my books back. Uh, Mr. Carter, shouldn't we notify the police? No, Mr. Reed. You can't make a murder charge stick without a corpse. But I saw it. I could testify that I... No corpse, no case. Oh, well. They're just around the next turn and we're home. Ah, there it is. 
Oh, what a lovely place. Isn't it, Nick? Yes, indeed. Charming place. The whole scene is so nice. Smoke curling from the chimney. Well, that's funny. Uh, what is, Miss Bowen? Smoke curling from the chimney on a warm summer night. Oh, that that's the hot water heater. Really? An awful lot of smoke for one of those things, isn't it? Oh, yes, yes. It's a nuisance. We have to burn soft coal, all we can get right now. Who tends the boiler, Mr. Reed? Why, Evans the butler. Even though he considers it a little beneath his dignity. Uh, why do you ask? Oh, no particular reason. Just curious. Well, I'll leave the car here in case we want it later. Let me help you, Patsy. Thanks. Good evening. Oh, uh, good evening, Evans. Uh, come on in, both of you. Thank uh-huh. you. Evans, uh, this is Miss Bowen and Mr. Carter. They'll be staying the night. Very good, sir. Uh, Mr. Carter, the detective, may I ask? Yes, fine. Uh, nothing, sir. Nothing at all. Uh, would you care to wash up, either of you? Oh, no, thanks. I freshened up on the train. I'd like to wash, please. Oh, but Nick, you... I know, Patsy. Uh, I'll take you upstairs. Thank you. Uh, meanwhile, Evans, will you show Miss Bowen into the library? The, the library, sir? Yes, the library. Uh, perhaps Miss Bowen would like to see the garden. The hollyhocks are quite lovely now, and there's still enough light. I'll look at the garden in the morning, if I may. Oh, certainly. Show Miss Bowen to the library, Evans. Yes, sir. Very well, sir. The library. This way, please. Collection of books. First edition, Paradise Lost. See the Copperfield in the original part. Big pardon, <gasps> Miss. Oh, oh, Evans, you surprised me. I didn't hear you come in. Sorry to startle you, Miss. Thought you might like some tea. Thank you. And Evans, could we have a little more light in here? Uh, why? You've only this one lamp on. The whole other half of the room is dark. <laughs> Makes it gloomy. Oh, uh, I don't think it's gloomy, Miss. I do. May we have a little more light, please? Very good, Miss. Look at that other wall. Yes, Miss. It's covered with armor, swords and things. Yes, Miss. Uh, Very interesting. If you need anything, you will please ring, Miss. Thank you. I think I'll take a look. Suit of armor, time of Henry II. Well, in target, 14th century. Crossbows. Quiet, Patsy. Oh, Nick, it's you. I thought. Well, never mind. Come along. We've got work to do. Oh, but Nick, look. Look here at the collection of armor and swords. Oh, I see. A good collection of British battle swords, too. Mm-hmm. Look here, Nick. See this? Yes. One sword missing. And the label says it was a 16th century claymore. True enough, Patsy. Good for you. Nick, that butler. Save it for now, Patsy. Come on. We've got work to do. Where are we going? Out through the French windows into the garden. Whatever for? To see the hollyhocks and other things. Come on. The hollyhocks are beautiful, Nick. But what do we want with flowers at a time like this? You'll see in a minute. You know, Nick... I just realized why you were so excited when you saw Mr. Reed's file card. You knew that curios meant swords and armor, didn't you? Oh, did I? Oh, I knew there was some reason why that butler was so anxious to keep me out of the library. He didn't want us to notice that that sword was missing. Maybe so. We ought to nab him quickly. 
He'll make a getaway. Not just yet, he won't. Ah, over here, Betsy. Hmm? I found what I came out for. A, a door. A door to the house. But why come out here to find a door going back into the house? Unless I'm much mistaken, this is a door to the cellar. Oh, the cellar. Locked, of course. Well, a curious keyhole. Now, my pick lock was made for just such unusual locks. So let's see. Well, what do we want in the cellar, Nick? That's when we arrived, you noticed smoke pouring from the chimney. Mm-hmm. Reed said it was the hot water heater. Yes. Well, I made a point of going up to wash my hands. The water in the hot faucet was only lukewarm. With all the smoke we saw, that water should have been boiling hot. I see. That means... That it's not the hot water boiler that's burning. Something else is burning in the cellar. Oh. Or being burned. There. Thought that would do it. Now. Wait till I turn on my flashlight. Uh-huh. All right. Down those steps. smell. It's like... You're right, Patsy. Afraid that's just what it is. Wait. Take this slice bar and open the furnace door. Oh, Nick. Just as I thought. Look. There's the toe of a shoelace. Yes. Unquestionably, one of the shoes we saw on the body of Rodney Stone. Nick, shut the door, please. Right. It, It all fits together. That butler probably overheard everything about Stone in the first folio of Shakespeare, then stole the sword, then followed Stone to the hotel and killed him. And Nick, remember? When Reed came to the station, he said he was delayed because Evans kept stalling the car. And Evans has charge of this fella, and he thought he'd have time to burn the body, but our wire surprised him. He kept delaying Reed so we wouldn't get here too soon. Certainly hmm. hangs together, Patsy, but you... Oh, someone's coming. Wait, let's behind this bin, Harry. Well, Evans, just keeping the home fires burning. Mr. Cutter. Drop that poker, Evans. But, Mr. Cutter. Drop it, I said. All right. Have a cold-blooded fiendish killer. Mr. Ted, you're right, Evans. Now you're going to tell us where you've hidden those books. Uh, No, no, I have... Stay where you are. I've got a gun. So have I. Mr. Reed. I've got the drop on you, Carter. Let go of your pistol. Very well. Now, uh, take it over here. I congratulate you, Carter. You're cleverer than I thought. But from now on, things will go my way. And what way is that? I'll turn Miss Bowen over to my associates, whom you haven't met. They'll take excellent care of her. Then tomorrow, you and I will visit the police and the insurance company. And if you don't testify as I wish, Miss Bowen will... Oh, Nick. You see, I don't want the books back. I want the insurance. It's a great deal more than the present market value of those books. And you're too clever. You really might find those books. You're darned right he would. Nick Carter can find... Look, on the wall behind you, the shadow of a bearded man. Shakespeare's ghost. Yeah, what? Why, why, why? Look, Patsy. Right. Now, Mr. Reed, I have the drop on you. You smart uh, boys are always fooled by the simplest tricks. The furnace door was open. 
And by manipulating my fingers behind my back, I cast a shadow of a bearded man on that wall behind you. Oh, thank you, Nick. I wouldn't have liked to meet Shakespeare's ghost. I... I think I'm much more attractive with my head on. Now, Reed, I'm sure you won't be too reluctant about naming your accomplice because you won't want to go to jail for both of you. Then we'll turn over to the police two of the most cold-blooded thieves I've ever met. Thieves? You mean murderers. No, Patsy, they aren't guilty of that. They couldn't have murdered Rodney Stone because Rodney Stone never lived. In just a moment, Nick will be back to give you the final details of today's adventure and tell you how he followed the mysterious trail of Shakespeare's ghost. And now let's hear from Nick Carter himself. You see, Patchy, there never was such a man as Rodney Stone. There's all a scheme that Reed and his accomplice cooked up to collect the insurance on those books. You see, Reed's file card told me he'd been a volunteer worker at the county hospital. That's what excited me. Because that meant he had access to the hospital morgue and the blood bank. You mean they... they stole a corpse? Right. Some poor, nameless pauper, probably. Oh. And they also took a couple of pints of blood from the blood bank. <laughs> His accomplice took the body and the blood to the hotel in a trunk, hired two suites, and set the scene we saw in one of them. Meanwhile, Reed had sent his cable to London, knowing full answer, full well the answer he'd get. Why did he want you in on it? He needed a reputable witness to the murder and the theft. Then as soon as I had seen it, they had to get rid of the body at once to avoid a checkup. Oh, but how did the body disappear? The accomplice was hiding in a closet. When Reed called us into the bedroom to see the sword he'd planted there, his pal slipped out and took the body into the suite next door. Oh. He put it in a trunk, and as soon as we left, brought it back to Reed's house so Reed could burn it up. I thought Evans was the guilty one. No, Patsy, I was convinced Reed was lying when he met us at the station. He said he'd started only ten minutes before, yet his car was wet. I remember the sudden summer shower. Right. The rain had stopped 15 minutes before, which meant that Reed himself had delayed along the road in the shower so that cremation would be over before we got back to the house. Yeah, but, but Nick, when we were in the cellar, it was Evans who came down to see if the body were consumed. Patsy Evans told me that he knew nothing of the swindle Reed had planned until he accidentally found him putting the body in the furnace. Then, having been with Reed's family for years, he loyally did what he could to help him out. Oh. Nick. Why didn't you try to trace the body when it disappeared? Because I had a strong hunch that there was something phony about the murder. And I felt sure I could catch the crooks another way. <laughs> Looked awfully real to me with all that blood around. That was one reason why I suspected his genuineness. If the man had been killed as we were led to believe he had, he would have dropped on the spot. There would have been no blood in the far corners of the room. Oh, Patsy, there was too much blood in too many places. Why, of course. What's more, the body was too dramatically arranged. Murdered people usually sprawl in almost ludicrous and unbelievable positions. But the clincher, Patsy, was the corpse's elbow. Uh, oh, Nick, what could you tell from an elbow? Patsy, you recall that the blood analysis showed the blood was at least six hours old? Uh-huh. Well, when a body lies as long as six hours in one position, immediately after death, gravity causes the blood to settle into the parts of the body touching whatever it's resting upon. As a result, the skin becomes purplish at that point. While the corpse's bare elbow was touching the floor, yet there was no sign of any purple color, which meant something was not as it should be. Well, well. Work for Nick Carter and learn why you earn, I always say. And so do I. What's next week's adventure going to be, Nick? Well, Ken, next week I have a rather unusual story for you. A man came to my office and told me he had just killed a man. Well, that's odd. I suppose he came to give himself up. Oh, no. 
He came to ask Nick to find the body of the man he just killed. Well, we found it all right. But it took a black mirror and a pinched bar to find the killer. Well, I thought you said he confessed. He did. And that's what makes the story. I give up. What do you call the story? I call it The Case of the Wandering Corpse. Nick Carter, Master Detective, produced and directed by Jock McGregor, is copyrighted by Street and Smith Publications, Incorporated. Lauren Clark is starred as Nick, with Charlotte Manson as Patsy. Script is by Stanley Kaufman. Original music is played by George Wright. The programs are fictional, and any resemblance therein to actual persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Nick Carter, Master Detective, is presented at this time and over these same stations each week by the three great Linux home brighteners. Linux Clear Gloss, Linux Cream Polish, and Linux Self-Polishing Wax. Now the makers of the great Linux home brighteners take this opportunity to send you their most cordial good wishes for a bright new year, filled with contentment, prosperity, and the realization of every personal ambition. May 1946 be the best year you've ever known. This is Ken Powell speaking for the thousands of Linux dealers all over America and saying so long until next week. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.